Now I want you to think about this for a moment in reference to, because these things, you know, just take it from the scripture, uh, but, but think about it for a moment, this idea of just being a warrior. In the natural, it takes a warrior. Number one, I, I have saved men, of course, if you're going, that's the only way. That's your enlistment, all right? You can't get in the army unless you enlist, unless you're drafted or whatever, but you can't just slip in an army. I mean, I just can't go down there and put on a, a soldier's uniform and, and walk in and start giving commands and say, you know what, I, I got me a major's uniform here, and uh, I'm going to give some commands today and tell you guys what to do. Well, you're going to get laughed at, all right? That is not going to work unless you've enlisted. Unless you have gotten in the right way, you can't get in the army, and you can't get in God's army unless you're saved, all right? You can't fight for God. Matter of fact, you're not saved, you're fighting against God. Uh, so the only way you're going to get in this army is, first of all, you've got to enlist and you've got to get saved. Uh, that's the first thing. Secondly, you've got to have courage. You're not going to be a good soldier or a warrior if you ain't got some courage. Fearful men don't good. Remember in uh, uh, Gideon, uh, how that God told him, you know, you got too many, but uh, he told those that first of all were fearful. He said down a whole pile of them got sent home just because they were afraid. They were there. And they had their armaments, and they're ready, and it looks like at least they're ready to fight. But if you give them a chance to go home, they go home. <clears throat> you open the door for some folks, and that's what they do. You know, just give them a chance. They're, you can tell they're just waiting there. I've been around sometimes folks, and you're, you know, you're working with them, and, and you can tell they've lost heart. You can tell it's, you know, it's been a long day, and, and you can tell that they're, they're, they're kind of done. And, you know, it's just like you look around and say, look, man, why don't you go home? I'll finish up. <laughs> aren't you going home I'll finish up because you know at that point that uh, they're just going to be a drag so you just will uh, uh, go on and, and finish it yourself secondly is alert you got to have men that are awake a sleeping soldier is going to be a dead soldier you got to have men not only him but those men that he's uh, they're trying to keep alert for and fourthly discipline these are things that an army creates an army first of all you want men of courage you want men that are alert, and you want men that are disciplined, that, that have their priorities right, that aren't entangled in things, that are, that are have got their, their, so to speak, their ducks in a row, and they know how to fight, they know how to use their weapon, they know how to do this stuff without being told, and they know how to take orders. Now, I was, you know, I was, I was watching a little documentary uh, here uh, recently, and uh, my mind was kind of fried on the way home, and, and so I, I had a documentary with me, and, and on the way home from Mexico, I was just so tired mentally, and I said, well, I'm, I'm going to watch this documentary of war. And uh, it was on a particular battle and uh, about uh, the difficulties that they faced and the struggles, and this particular uh, soldier was saying, he said, you know, you can prepare a man for how to use his weapon. You can prepare a man, uh, he said, for the... Uh, how to take orders. You can prepare him that, that he's, he's ready to do whatever he's told to do. He said, but you can't prepare him for war. He said, when you get there, he said, it's, it's nothing like what you ever thought it's going to be. He said, you can't really tell him or prepare him. You can get him prepared so that he's able to face and endure. But the actual experience of it, until you get it, buddy, until you hit it, there's no way to really tell you how it's going to be like. And that's our life, many ways. There are many experiences that we have that no matter how much you talk about it, no matter how much you explain it, until it actually gets you right in your face, you're not going to really grasp what's going on. And so this idea of being disciplined is necessary. 
Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to have onslaughts in this life. I'm going to tell you that you're going to have times overwhelmed. You're going to have times you don't feel like going on. But disciplined men go on anyway. When they're told to march, they march, whether they feel like it or not. And, uh, you know, they're just, they may be overcome. They may be overwhelmed. But if you have discipline, you will go whenever the body and everything else maybe wants to shut down. You go anyway. And that's necessary in the kingdom and the army of the Lord. And the fifth thing I want to deal with tonight, at least one aspect of it, is this idea of uh, being strong. We don't want weak warriors. When you're, one of the first things you're going to do when you're building that army is you've got to build strength. You've got to build physical endurance. You've got to build strength in these men. And if you're going to be a man, one of the, the fifth thing that you've got to have is strength. You've got to build strength. So I want to talk about, and probably this is the only part I'm going to actually get to tonight. There are several scriptures that talk about being strong. Um, there's a passage found. We'll deal with this one. It's what I'm going to deal with tonight. Take your Bibles over with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1 and the very last verse. And it was speaking about John the Baptist. This statement, although many of men in Scripture demonstrate this characteristic, uh, it, is, it is made particularly of two men, two men whose destinies are tied together, whose lives are, are intimately tied together, and that is John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And uh, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, it speaks about John the Baptist and said, And the child grew, and he waxed strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Chapter 2, please. And verse 40, speaking of Jesus Christ. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then, of course, they're going to come to uh, Jerusalem. But he waxed strong in spirit. And this is something he's developing early in his life, strong in spirit. Now, <clears throat> there's some others you can look at later and do maybe a little study on your own because I'm, I'm not going to get time to cover them. Uh, the scripture will tell us in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He will tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that he said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So strong in grace, strong in the Lord and His power, strong in spirit. Uh, Abraham was said to be strong in faith. Strong in faith. You can look up the phrase in the Bible, be strong, and particularly in the New Testament, and you'll find you some scriptures that deal with this idea of strength and where our strength comes from. Our strength comes, uh, first of all, we're to be strong in spirit. We're going to talk about that one tonight. But our strength comes from God's grace. So let your strength be strong in God's grace. That's where your strength flows out of. Your strength must come from God's strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Your strength flows out of your master. It flows out of his command, your Lord, the one who commands you, the one who directs you, the one who empowers you, his power. Let your strength flow out of a dependency on the sovereign and out of the one who is, who is able to uh, empower you because he can conquer everything. You can conquer nothing by yourself. But through Jesus, you can conquer all things because he has shown he has the power. So you can look those up and there's some, uh, some of that. But tonight I want to deal with this business of being strong in spirit. Now, now first of all, this idea, what I, I want to quickly remind us, what, what, what are we talking about in spirit? 
This is not necessarily, though it, it, it will become associated with it. He wasn't saying be strong in the Holy Spirit. That, that's truly said in Ephesians chapter 6, the power of His might. Well, the power of the Lord's might is demonstrated to us through the Holy Spirit. So uh, there's that, that place where we do need that strength. But to be strong in spirit speaks to your human spirit. Your human spirit. When we talk about a person's spirit, we talk about... Uh, at least a couple of things. Of course, your human spirit is, is, is the sense of that which drives you. It is that which, out of that springs your hope. Out of that springs your motivation. Out of that springs a sense of, of your ability to do or not to do is going to flow out of that inward man. It's that animating power of the inward man. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's nobody's going to ever rise above what you are inwardly. You can be the greatest man outwardly, but if you're rotten inwardly, it's going to bring you down. We've seen guys that have conquered the basketball court. They've conquered, they've conquered areas that are just amazing feats they've done, but morally, they're lost. They're, they're just, their life is a shambles. And so, what we are inwardly is what makes the difference. If the spirit is strong... now. I'm going to look at this idea, there's particularly, when you, when you talk about a person's spirit again, and, and I, I want to make some comments to this about, to you that have, um, <clears throat> we've got Nathan, we've got, he's got a young child, we've got Donnie here with his son Daniel, um, some of you guys, you're older and your sons are older, but you can keep building it, these young men need to develop it, we all need it in our lives, but particularly, we can help, I'm conscious of this in my grandson, this was said about John the Baptist and Jesus. They waxed strong in spirit. It was from a young age is where this came into their life. John the Baptist is in the deserts till the day of his showing. The child grew. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit. This is something that was being developed in them from their childhood. From the age, from Jesus, from the age of of, of eight days in his circumcision until he's 12 years at the temple. The reason Jesus can do what he does at 12 is because he's strong in spirit. He's strong in spirit. And he's able to do at age 12 what most, a lot of folks can't do at age 50. Uh, and, and just an amazing thing. But this is something that is critical to develop in our children. And, uh, and sometimes today, because spirits of men are so wimpy, uh, we're, we're just not warriors, but warriors have to have a, an inward sense of strength that they can face things. And I'm, I'm going to demonstrate that to you in just a little bit in the scripture. But as you're building this in your children and as, as we and, and as elders in this church, we want to help to build this in the young fellows around here. Uh, Brother Michael, particularly in, in his class, the young, young men's class, and I, I appreciate the emphasis that he's placed and the things that he's doing with that. And I try to do that with these young lads. When they shake my hand, I don't want a limp noodle, you know. I don't want a wet noodle handshake. That, that's just wimpy. Uh, You've you got to show your sons, uh, even your daughters. That's okay. If you've got daughters, I mean, I, don't, I hate this kind of... You're not a puppy dog, okay? That's how you shake a puppy dog's hand. He can't shake your hand. He just kind of sticks his paw out there, and you can grab it and give it a little shake, and you get these puppy dog handshakes. I'm like, 
where's some, you got some strength of spirit? I mean, you don't even put any energy in the handshake. I got to provide the shake. You provide the hand, I got to provide the shake. And, uh, you know, and it's like you, you're, you get nothing with this and, and you just get this limp noodle that's just stuck out there. Uh, and and I, I, I tell young men, I'm not, no, son, you're going to shake my hand, grip it, okay? Now, I don't, I don't need you to break my fingers. I'm not, well, this isn't some test of, or contest of physical endurance here, but firmness says respect. Firmness says uh, a sense of dignity and nobility and strength. It, it says a sense of propriety and not like, instead of complacency, it says energy instead of listlessness and, and laziness. And, and it says that, hey, I'm on board. I'm really greeting you today. And you stick that hand out and you, you shake that thing. It says that you are a person that there's a sense about you that you're alive. Woo! There's something in your life and you're not just kind of, you know, puppy dogging it along. Um, and I, I, I see when I, I get a young man and even sometimes young ladies and they shake my hand and say, ah, no, that ain't going to do. You're going to do that again. Get that right. You know, shake my hand right. So, there's little things, and I'm conscious of this in my grandson. I'm watching his action because the men of our culture become so effeminized. Our whole expression physically says, I'm this. I, I, don't, I don't know why, but I hate men stewards in an airplane. Maybe that's wrong with me. Uh, but I'm telling you what, buddy, every, everyone I've seen is just on the limp side, all right? And just on the limp side. And it just and when I walk onto that airplane and I know the stewardess is not going to be a stewardess, it's going to be a steward. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. I hope I get the lady that serves me, you know. I don't mind her. Sir, what would you like to drink? I can deal with that from a lady. That's quite all right. But when I get a guy, sir, what would you like to drink? That kills me. I'm just like. I really don't want anything to drink. You know? It just want to set you off. And, uh, but that's become our culture, and that's become so acceptable. Uh, I'm not saying a man can't do that job, but men seem to have a hard time doing it like a man. And, and this idea of your spirit, what you put into your child's spirit matters. What you put in your spirit matters. You can fill your spirit with garbage and can become polluted. Polluted. You can depress a child's spirit. You can browbeat them. You can tell them they're nothing all the time. And you can so depress their spirit that they have no sense of self-worth. They have no sense of value about the person because you beat them down and they become depressed. Your spirit can be also on the other side. You can puff up their spirit. They become so arrogant and so uh, independent that they, they think the world owes them. You know, life, life owes them and they, have, they don't have to contribute anything because everybody bows at their feet. And, and ultimately that's going to bring defeat in their life. Your spirit can be so discouraged that it's filled with negativity, uh, that it, 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 it faints, it becomes complacent. Your spirit can become so pampered. I've, I've seen children sometime today as you're, you're growing them up and, and you just, you so coddle them and pamper them on every little thing that, I mean, every little bruised knee becomes a major trauma. Every little scratch is 911 time. And there's none of this, what? Yeah, I see you got a cut. Okay, it's all right. You know, it's a little bit of blood. Go wash it off, stick a Band-Aid on. You got work to do. Come on, let's go. But it's like, oh, my little baby. And, you know, just, oh, daddy will make it better. That kills kids. You're making their spirits wimpy. You're not building any spirit in them. They don't have any sense that 
hey, life will throw you some hard hits. And you got to be able to take them. And you got to be able to keep on going, all right? You can't lose your focus because you got a bruised knee, all right? And you know you smashed your finger. We all feel for you because we've all had it happen. But uh, life is bigger than your bruised finger right now. So this human spirit is critical. I want to I want to drive this home. Uh, well, let me get here. Hang with me here a second. I want to remind you of some things, some men in the Bible, and just again what this means to be strong in spirit. And uh, quickly, I'll probably not get there. And if I don't, I might just pick it up next Wednesday night and teach it to the whole church. Um, let's go through Scripture for a moment and, and remind you of some men that possess the strength of spirit. And what it produced in their life, what they were able to do. <clears throat> First of all, <clears throat> Joseph. Uh, when I think of a man that's strong in spirit, I think of Joseph. And I, let me just give you three things that he did. The first thing he did was he overcame the hatred and the rejection of his siblings. Nothing worse. You're in a family, all right? You're raised up, you got brothers, you got sisters. And they cut you out. You get, you know, you've all heard of the black sheep of the family. Hey, there's some folks that they lose it in life. They just, they just lose it because uh, mommy or daddy. Now, Joseph, of course, was favored by his father. We understand that. And his father was probably wrong in some of that that he did. Uh, but this, whatever it was, it led to the fact that Joseph became hated. I mean, how would you feel towards your brother? Let's just try to be honest right here. That if your brothers took you and uh, were able to do that and sold you off into slavery, all right, and you went through hardships, buddy. I mean, you had to work. You didn't get any pay. You became a piece of property. You became somebody's possession. Hey, your father's a wealthy landowner, all right? Your father's got wealth. You're going to inherit it. And you just lose it all of a sudden. And you became somebody's slave. And then the tables turn. And you're able to put it back on your brothers. How many of us would say, well, what goes around turns, comes around. <laughs> he overcomes this. He doesn't let the hatred and rejection of his brothers make his spirit bitter. Because he is strong inwardly. That he's able to endure this. He, oh, he endures difficult circumstances with a good attitude. How many of us really? It's very difficult for us to imagine this. And, and I don't know that I could sit here and say that. Oh yeah I could do that Brother Woods. But I pray that we could develop the kind of spirit that would enable us to do that. Um, how many of us could sit in a prison for three years? And still keep our chin up. And still keep our joy on top. Or how many of us would be at the depths of despair? I mean, Joseph is going to first be a slave. And then he's going to rise uh, because God blesses him. And then he's going to get unjustly thrown in prison. And he's going to be there a while. Right? He didn't get out in six days. He's going to be there a few years. He's going to get stuck in that prison. And, uh, and, he's, going, and he's there unjustly. But we don't. when you read about Joseph, you don't find where he's getting down about it. I mean, I'm sure he had some dark days. I'm sure it was some difficult times. But he's still helping guys. He's interpreting their dreams. Hey, when you guys get out, remember me, okay? They get out and forgot about him. You know, finally, God brought it about in his time. It all works about in God's time. Paul sits in Caesarea for two years in prison. 
How many of us could do that? Keep our wits about us, keep our spirits up, keep our chin up, keep our focus, keep our joy, keep our delight, and keep a positive testimony in Jesus Christ. You won't do that if your spirit's weak. He overcame strong, sustained temptations. Here is a man pre-Calvary and Potiphar's wife, and she does this more than once. Day after day, she comes after him. Day after day, Joseph, come and lie with me. Come and lie with me. How many of you think he probably could have got by with it? But he didn't. He didn't do it. Point is, is that this thing was strong. It was sustained. It came at him again and again. But because his spirit was strong inwardly, he overcame it. He overcame it. He ran, you know the story. He, he left his coat and ran out the door, and that's going to get him in trouble. But these are the patterns of men who have been strong in spirit and the overcome. How about Joshua and Caleb? Here are other two men together, and I put them together because they, they demonstrate this together. They courageously stand in opposition to the majority. How many of us have ever been able to stand when the majority of the crowd stands against you and you're able to stand with conviction and face that crowd? Or how many, if the majority is going against us, we just kind of keep our mouths shut? You know, Joseph and uh, Joshua and Caleb didn't come back from Canaan and just kind of like, hey, Caleb, what are we going to do? Man, there's 10 against 2 here. Well, you know what? Just, we better just kind of let this thing slide a little bit, you know, and, and just kind of, well, just have to kind of put up with it, you know, because if, if there's just two of us and 10 of them and we say this and we tell them, hey, we can take the land, we're going we're gonna to look like, Crazy guys. I mean, we're going to really stand out. We're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to massacre us. They're going to, they're going to take us out. We better just keep it quiet. No. They came back and they stood up. No, don't do this thing. Men and brethren, don't do this thing. God is with us. We can take this land. They're ready to stone them. They're ready to knock these guys out. How have you done in the face of, when you have to stand up to a majority, you're in the minority crowd. How do you stand? They could stand because these guys were strong inwardly. It takes inward strength to be able to stand in the face of op opposition to a majority. Secondly, they trusted God to give victory in the face of overwhelming odds. They said to those, God can give us victory, fellas. Yes, I know they're giants. I know they got a, their armies bigger than ours is. But that doesn't matter. Our God is with us. There's one thing my daddy gave to me, and I'm going to be honest with you. There's times I thought my daddy was nuts. Um, but my daddy put in me and helped me with this. And I, I, I was a bit more timid in my childhood, but my daddy was a man with an adventurous spirit. He would tackle things that I'm like, Daddy, you're crazy. Well, I can do it, boy. He does it. I can do it. Let's do it. Let's go. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, you know, and, and he would just, this sense of nothing is too big to overcome. And he would, he had this sense of adventure that, I mean, he would, uh, him, I remember him and uh, Emery and I have laughed about it several times. I, I, I'm not, I guess I'm a little bit different perspective on this, but I mean, this is my dad. He would, he would leave West Virginia and he had he had bought a, a, a US mail Jeep 
All right, the steering wheel. Now, this is America. We drive on the right side of the road. This thing has got a steering wheel on the left side of the road, or on the left side of the car, rather, the vehicle. It's a little old male Jeep is what it is. Steering wheel's on the, on the left, on the right-hand side. Steering wheel's on the right-hand side. And uh, him and, and my daddy and Emery's daddy, um, you know, they, they get in this thing. I don't, even, I don't even know if this thing could do 60. I don't know. It's, it's not, you know, male Jeeps aren't made for racing. They're not made for 70 mile an hour interstate. They're made to run around the countryside and, and, and drop mail off. You're, you're, not, you're not looking to go over, over 50 miles an hour or something. I don't know what top speed was on the thing. Um, I don't think the heater worked. And they're coming to my house. He takes off in this thing. It's not proven. He's not really driven it enough to know and drives 400 miles to my house in this Jeep. And I said, Daddy, what are you doing? What are you doing? But there was this sense of adventure. He grew up in an age when you had nothing. And you know what? If you sat around complaining about it, you had less than nothing. And you would get buried. And, and I mean, you got to get up and go, bud. You make the best with nothing. And what is it? Because that male Jeep was probably uh, 40 times better than the old Model A that his father had. And wherever they traveled in that thing. And uh, it just didn't matter. I mean, if this thing, if it can crank and go, my daddy would almost get in it and go across the country. Uh, me, I'm under the hood. I'm checking things out. I'm proving this thing before I'm going down the road. A little difference. But I want to say to you that there, there was a sense in his spirit that it was something you didn't press down. And uh, it didn't matter if the odds looked overwhelming, you go against it. How well do you do when you know it's something God wants you to do and it looks like there's no way this is going to get done. I don't need to know how it's going to get done. I don't need to know one thing. Does God want me to do it? It's all I need to know. Do you have that sense of spirit that you're able to say, all I need to know is, is this what God wants me to do? If you do, that was these men. God can help us. Thirdly, they maintained their hope when its fulfillment was delayed. Amen. There's nothing worse than a 40-year disappointment. How would you deal with that? You're ready to go. You can smell Canaan. You've tasted the wine. You've tasted the grapes. You've touched the land. You've seen the, the milk and honey. You've seen the gorgeous valleys. You've seen the gorgeous vineyards. And you're that close. And a bunch of sorry, complacent, fearful unbelievers put a 40-year delay on your victory. And you've got to spend the next 39 years of your life putting up with it. Now, buddy, I want to tell you, that can get you down. That can get you down real quick. There's only way you're going to overcome that. Is you've got to have something inside that's bigger than their unbelief. You have something inside of you that's stronger than what their mess is that's going on. And so this ability to maintain your hope when there's a delay, the hope was ultimately realized. Those men went in and took the land when they're 80, but they would have sure liked to have taken it when they was 40. Makes a difference, doesn't it? But your hope sometimes gets delayed, but the spirit, if it's strong, will go on. David, how about David? Talk about David, how he endured solitude. You know, David was like a black sheep. And, and he, got, he got put out there to the... Uh, the family, remember whenever they come to get the sons or, or Samuel comes to anoint the sons, where's David? He's out taking care of the sheep. Little runt. They put that out with the little brother. Let him take care of it. We ain't doing that. Let him take care of it. 
David doesn't come bitter. Now, you think about this night after night after night in the field, in the rain, in the difficulty uh, with the sheep watching out for bears, watching out for lions, whatever it is that you've got to deal with. And the solitude of it, he has nobody to help. I, I get amazed. I, I remember when he came to this church and in WPC years ago, and uh, there was this cry, and there's been this cry sometimes in, in Christendom, it's kind of a sad thing, that what are we going to do, you know, we, we need something for our children to do, we need, we need something for our children to do. Can I tell you, if you're the mom and dad, you can provide everything they need for them to do. But there were folks in sometimes in our association and just like, well, our kids don't have this, they're, go, they're not going to turn out good, and we need to provide this activity, we need to provide this activity. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I grew up in a church where at first we didn't have a bunch of little kids. I grew up in a neighborhood where I was the only one saved for quite a long time. I didn't know what a youth group was. Okay? My dad didn't know what a youth group was. Uh, we were a church. You had Sunday school classes where you, you divided up by age, but what we did, we did it together. If my dad could take me, he took me. When we worked on the church, we all worked on the church, okay? There wasn't the sense that, that uh, we were going to take the handful of kids in our, our church and that they were just going to go off and do their own little thing and while the adults bore the load and did the work. No, we, we work all of this together. And uh, my point was is that there, there's sometimes we get in this frame of mind that, Oh, no, my children don't have this, and they don't have this advantage, and they don't have this advantage. They got you, and they got God. And God gave them to you. God gave you what you got. That's all they need to make them strong and be the people God wants them to be. It's amazing today that we've got more materially and financially in a nation, and we produce people that are weaker in their moral principles and their character. And when our nation had far less, we had people of far greater nobility and strength. And David is out there by himself day after day, the runt, the reject, if you will, somewhat of the family. And you know what he does in his solitude? He learns how to play a harp. You know what he does in his solitude? He learns how to sling a sling and how to sling stones. Make your time where you think you're not useful, where you think you've been pushed out. David didn't get upset because he had to do the job nobody wanted to do. So he says, I'll practice the sling. Go ahead, God will use it one day to kill giants. I'll practice the harp. Go ahead, God will use it one day to solace the spirits of kings. Right now, you just think you're playing in the wilderness. One day you will play before kings. Right now you're just throwing stones at rabbits and trees. You're just trying to make a mark. You're just trying to see how good you can get with it. One day you'll slay giants. But we don't use our solitude. We don't use our times in which pe people have put us out to be nobodies because our spirits aren't strong. The spirit's got to be strong so you can use that time to build you. And then when the hour comes, God can do great things. Secondly, they faced, he faced the enemy alone. He did. You know, it's something. <laughs> you get to kill the bear and there's no one to brag to. You're by yourself. Kill the bear with your bare hands. He comes, he comes, take his sheep. The lion comes or whatever. You get the lamb out of the lion's mouth. 
you, you kill the bear with your own bare hands. Or maybe he tells a story. Right, David. Sure you did. Uh, <laughs> sure you did. Nobody sees him kill it. Who sees him kill the bear? It's his story. It's his story. Sure you did, David. Right. Yeah, I did, fellas. I'm telling you, the bear came down. God came on me. God him. I killed him with my bare hands. You've been drinking too much. You've been out in the sun too long, little fella. You got something going on, something messed up. He knew how to face the enemy alone. He wins his victories. He wins his battles. It doesn't really matter what people think about that. He wins the victory. He could face the enemy and beat him when he was by himself. Thirdly, he waited on God to exalt him. I think the strength of character of David and this time in which David could have been king. He could have influenced the people. He could have beat Saul. He could have taken him. But instead, David will wait. He is the anointed king over Israel and he's having to hide in a cave. He's on the run. But you know what? He says, basically, I'm not going to be king until God makes me king. And when God makes me king, it'll do it. He's got the ability. He's got the men behind him. He's got the anointing. The prophecy is with him. But he says, it's not until God does it. I'm not going to do it. I will not make myself king. God will have to make me king. And he's got that strength of spirit to endure. How many of us, let's, let's be honest here. How many of us could be hunted like a rabbit by a hound dog? You're on the run all the time. You know, you have to depend on others. You have to hide out. You have to watch every activity by a sorry, God-forsaken king. And when that king dies, you write good things about him. Most of us would have danced on his grave. Because he had a chance to kill him. He did. Exactly. He had a chance to kill him and wouldn't. Now, there's reasons why David does that, but that's exactly right. But how many folks give him that? Because to them, it's, there's no nobility. There's no nobility. I had a situation recently where just, just a situation about a, a particular document somebody wanted me to, to at, at a certain time I, I was given a document, I was given certain power because of this document for a certain purpose. And um, some years went by, you know, that purpose didn't, didn't materialize, it wasn't necessary, and never did exercise my authority under that document. But later on, an opportunity came, but the situation is far different, far different situation. I think the documents may or, may, or still, may or may not have still been good, but assume it was still good. And someone says, why don't you, use, why don't you do this? Use this, you could take that document, you can use the authority that document gives you to do this for me. But you got to understand something. I said, that would be dishonest. That's not why that was given to me. That document wasn't given me to do what you're wanting me to do with it. It was given to me for another purpose. And I'm not going to violate that. Now, I know your situation is difficult, but I'm not violating that. Because you see, that's my integrity. Yeah, it made it difficult. Sometimes people have a hard time thinking that you can, you can have, because we don't have much of this, much integrity in this world. And, and when, you, when you do that and you live by this principle, and that's the way David was. He's a man of principle. I'm not here to execute the king. I don't have that power. 
I don't have that authority. I'm not executing. God didn't give me a leeway that I can touch his anointed and take him out. If he gets out, God's taking him out. I'm not doing it. If God tells me to go destroy a king, I'll go destroy a king. But I'm not going to do that. This man is waits on God to exalt him. Elijah, quickly, let me get through these. Elijah interceded for and suffered with his nation. It takes people strong in spirit to suffer for their nation with them and to intercede uh, for that nation and to cry out for it. Secondly, he confronted idolatry alone. Again, here's a man by himself having to face the prophets of Baal, having to face the king. What strength of spirit is in Elijah when he stands on Mount Carmel? You want to talk about just one little needle in a haystack. The whole army, here's Ahab and his army. Here's the people of the representatives of the nation of Israel. I'm sure every individual of Israel wasn't on that mountain, but the representatives at least. Here's the king, here's his army, here's his entourage with him. Here's 850 prophets of Baal that are against him. And what? man stands up to them, even laughs at them. <laughs> what strength that man had on the inside to do that, to face such odds. I mean, buddy, you could be toast in just a little bit here. But he stands. He maintains, he confront or he continues the Lord's work, though disappointed. You know what? Quite frankly, the situation with Jezebel didn't turn out the way Elijah thought it was going to turn out. When Elijah got down there to the, the wall or the, the gate of Jezreel, he figured that old Jezebel's going to be getting taken out. And uh, she doesn't. She puts out a warrant for his arrest, basically. And you know what? He ran. He has just had the greatest victory that any prophet could ever had. But it didn't turn out the way he thought it was going to turn out. Can I tell you something? Please listen to me carefully when I say this. I want to qualify it. I want to qualify it. What I say, but there's a sense in which God at times will disappoint you. Not because God has failed, but because God doesn't operate on the basis of your expectations and knowledge. Can I tell you, Elijah was not just upset at Ahab. He was a bit upset at God. I've done all this work. I thought Baalism was coming to the end. And the queen that brought it to this country is still alive and is after my head. In other words, now you think, well, what's the big deal about it? Folks, she's been after it for three and a half years. He's had to hide. He thinks it's over. Three and a half years, finally. God's told him, go show yourself to Ahab. It's, going to, it's finally over. I don't have to hide out anymore. And what's Jezebel do? I'm coming after you. She hadn't stopped. He's got to go back into hiding. He's got to go back into hiding. He thought the time of hiding was over. And the time of hiding is not over. He has to return to hiding. Well... You know what? We can blame him all we want to, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's been times that you and I have been disappointed at God. It isn't because God did wrong. It isn't because God failed. It's because we had a wrong perspective of what God was going to do, and we looked too far down the road and thought we had it figured out, and there was a curve in the road we didn't see, and God didn't tell us about it, but we just didn't 
trusted and we had it all figured out. But let me tell you what this man will do. You know, he's got to go on a 40-day fast and he gets to the mountain. <coughs> this is some of the hardest thing to do. And he looks at, he looks at Elijah and Elijah hasn't failed. He's had to go back into hiding. Jezebel's after him again. He doesn't have an army behind him, all right? Do you think Ahab's going to support Je uh, uh, Elijah? You know, do you think those guys are going to come out of their caves? No, he's going back into hiding where he didn't. He just came out of hiding, and he's going back into it. And God comes to this cave. You know the story. And you know what God really tells Elijah? Elijah, go back to work. Go anoint your successor, Elisha. In other words, basically, I'm about done with you. You're just about through. Elisha's going to take your place. You know, you want to talk about sometimes rubbing salt in the wound. It's one thing when you have someone that succeeds you. It's another thing when you've got to go train them and anoint them. It's like you get a guy that, you know, you've seen this. He, he's getting this job and, and, uh, and he's got this nice job and the boss comes. Okay, I want you to know that uh, we're letting you go. And, uh, but by the way, you're going to train your successor? <laughs> We're like, I bet I am. <laughs> you know, it, it almost appears that way, uh, Elisha, or Elijah. You know, your days are just about done and, and uh, what you've done, but I want you to go down and anoint the folks that are going to take over after you. And he does. He does. You know what he did? He went back to work. And he went and did what God told him to do. And there's a few more things being about Elijah, but he's fixing to pass off the scene. And Elisha's going to come and do twice the miracles that Elijah did. Whew. What strength of spirit. How many of us would have been so disappointed, so downcast, and so downtrodden? We'd be like, there's no way I'm going back out there. Yeah, you are. Well, Jezebel's after me. I don't care if she's after you. Go anoint Elisha because it's time for you to move on. This is a man. Daniel, another man. He maintained his integrity and purity in a pagan culture. Wow. What nobility that was in this young man. What strength of spirit to endure. What temptations must have came to him. But he is in an absolutely godless culture. And this man maintains his integrity and his moral purity. He maintained a life of intercession. Wow. I mean, Daniel is going to live the majority of his life outside of the country that he's a part of. He's a Jew. He's got a heritage. And at a young age, he has to leave his hometown and leave his heritage and grow up and die in a pagan country. And he does it and becomes one of the most noblest men you've ever seen. And you know why? Because all through that, he keeps praying. And he keeps interceding for his country. And if I cannot be there at home, a part of the king's court, then I will pray here until God can restore my people. He maintained a life of intercession. He maintained hope through difficult visions. And I say he maintained a life of prayer. How many of us, when you get discouraged, you quit praying instead of keep praying? How many of us, when we come to the place we face a difficulty in our life, instead of going and finding a place and praying through it, we shut down our prayer time? Happens, not Daniel. What are you going to do when they're against you? Keep on praying. Maintains hope 
through difficult visions. You, you see, how would you, even right now sometimes it's difficult for us. God's told us some things about coming on our nation and it hurts. This is our country. I love my country. I don't really want to see my country destroyed. In fact, I don't delight in that. Well, God shows Daniel things that's coming on his people, and they're not nice. Matter of fact, he gets, he's struggling with these things. He is gripped by them. Read the story in Daniel. He is like, out my countenance, I was struggled by the visions in my head. How many of us have such a strong spirit? Your spirit is so strong that God can tell you something a year from now that's going to be devastating. And you can keep a strong enough outlook to function normally until that day comes. That takes a lot of strength. That takes a lot of fortitude. When he knows his country is going to... Guess what they're going to do, fellas? Yes, Daniel. They're going back to the homeland, but guess what? Now it's the Persians. It's been the Babylonians. It's going to be the Greeks. It's going to be the Romans. There's other nations and other empires coming, and your people are going to have 70 weeks of difficulty. He, the ultimate end will issue in victory, but you're going to pass through a great fire. If God told you one year from now you were going to pass through the most difficult trial of your life, no, somebody go see me. I don't know if you can do anything about that or not. I don't know if it's me or what. If God told you a year from now you're going to pass through the most difficult trial of your life for a year, how many of us would have a hard time getting that out of our mind for a year? You see, God can't tell the future to many of us because our spirits are unable to bear it. But Daniel's spirit could bear it. He's a prophet. His spirit is strong. Two, a couple more here. How about Mary? This is a woman. Because spirit needs, we need women with strong spirits. She maintains her faith among a people who have compromised. And we've, I've kind of talked about that before. But this is what she does. And her people have compromised. But Mary is pure and a virgin. She maintains discretion and confidence when she is misunderstood and condemned. And I've mentioned those things recently. Um, she's misunderstood. She is condemned, but she maintains her discretion and she maintains her confidence. And she overcomes the limitation of her own understanding to accept her own son as Messiah. Think about this. You know, we talk about it, how great it is. We look at it. We're not Mary. You can say what you want to, but there's a lot of things going to go through your mind when you are giving birth to somebody and then you bow to the one you give birth to as your creator. Let me tell you, God couldn't have chosen just any young woman to do what Mary did. He had to have someone who was strong in spirit. You think about that. Yeah, Mary, you gave birth to him. It's just a man. Mary, you gave birth to him. You should be greater than him. She overcomes all of that, and on the day of Pentecost, she's there. To receive the Spirit and to worship the very one she birthed. She nursed. She taught how to speak. She taught how to read. She taught him his ABCs. She fed him with a spoon. She nursed him 
and held him close. She changed his diaper. And then she bows to his glory. Now I'm going to tell you something. You got to have something on the inside that's real. And faith to do that. How about John the Baptist and Jesus himself. These very two men that are strong in spirit. John endures a difficult environment in childhood. Today we think we blame everything on the difficult environment. Oh, this child didn't have much growing up. They didn't have this. They didn't have this. And that's why they are the way they are. Man, John grew up in a desert. He grew up in a desert. He had nothing. His parents would die when he's young. The child was in the desert. He would grow strong spirits in the deserts till the day of his showing. How many of us could spend, even let's say he goes there when he's 15. He probably went there earlier. He didn't preach till he's 30. 15 years alone in the desert. 15 years. You better have something more than the norm. Strong in spirit. Strong in spirit. He opposed the religious establishment. You know, most fellows today are not strong enough in their spirit to stand up against the religious establishment of today. Pastors are not strong enough in spirit. He reproved the evil that was in his government. Jesus himself maintained his integrity in obscurity. He maintained his identity in the midst of criticism and skepticism. And he maintained the intention of his coming. He never lost focus. I'm not going to go through any more of that. I hope you've got the idea of being strong in spirit. Quickly take your Bibles. I'm not going to probably get through all of this for sure. But I want to, I want to give you this to uh, at least we'll see where we're going to go with it. Maybe later I'm, I'm, you know, I might just preach it to the whole church. But I want to go back to this idea of growing the spirit and where the principal aspect of this comes from. Go to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to start. Well, I'll get there in a moment. Change my outline. 2 Corinthians, please. And we're going to start in a verse in chapter 4. Chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. When we talk about a man's spirit, where this is seen and the principal aspect of that spirit, and it's where it's demonstrated, and to find the right words to phrase this, is your mind. Your mind is located, is that aspect of your spirit. I'm not saying your spirit and mind are, are your spirit is your mind, but but your mind is in that spirit. The spirit is that part of your being whereby you are able to sense that there's more than the physical. You're able to communicate with an unseen world. I mean, there are God can talk to you without a microphone, without an, a human voice, without... He can speak to you inwardly. You can hear his voice. You can hear the devil's voice. A spiritual being can speak to you without you seeing that being or using your physical ear. You can hear inwardly. 
inwardly you can hear and communicate. You ever had God talk to you here? You ever had your, your mind and heart speak? You ever heard things and, and, and voices in a sense? And I'm not talking about being a schizophrenic here. I'm talking about God talking to you, suggestions and things that come to your mind. And a sense, a sense of the spiritual realm that there are things that are there that are unseen and I know they're there. And they are not a part of the physical world, but they're part of a spiritual realm. You can know God is there without seeing Him. God's made you that way. That's impressed on your spirit. But where's that all happen? Where's all that reality take place? Right here in the mind. The mind. That's where all of that goes on. That mind, when you talk about a man's spirit, the principal aspect of that is his mind. You know, we talk about this. You've got to have a made-up mind. You've got to have a made-up mind. You know what really we're saying? You've got to have a strong spirit. You've got to be strong in spirit. If your mind is weak, your spirit's weak. If your spirit's weak, your mind is weak. A strong mind and a strong spirit are essentially the same thing. Now let's talk about this. So, um, this mind, if you will, that's where you've got to build the strength. If you've got someone who's strong here in their mind, they're strong in their spirit, they can overcome tremendous obstacles. That's what you try to build into warriors. Isn't that where you want? You got to have men that are spiritually, that are mentally strong. That's why we don't want homosexuals in our military. Because mentally they're unfit. They're psychological basket cases. They're psychologically derelict. And you want a warrior, you need somebody whose mind is strong and they're not in a dilemma over their gender. I'm telling you, your mind is where this business of your spirit is and, and where that, or that sense of what a man's spirit is. So you've got to build your mind if you're building to build your spirit. That's where you got to strength. That's your whole battlefield. You win there, you're going to win. You win here, you win. If your heart and mind's together and you win the battle there, buddy, you've got it. I don't care whether you have the physical strength. <laughs> it's if I get knocked out physically, but if I die and my soul and spirit's intact, I'm good. You know, I'm good. Now, let's watch this. Let's look at five times. I want to use 2 Corinthians because there's a word that's translated mind. And it means that thoughts. It has to do with thoughts and a man's mind, a man's perspective. And Paul uses it, an interesting thing, it's only used one time in Philippians, and the only other times this word occurs in the New Testament is in 2 Corinthians, and he uses it five times. Three times, or four times it's translated, no, one time it's translated devices, I think three times it's translated mind, and one time it's translated thought. So we're going to look at those five verses, we won't get through all of them tonight, but I want to look at this idea, number one, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. Paul talks about, Wherefore I, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you whether ye be obedient in all things. That obedience is going to come up a little bit later. Just kind of remember it here when we get to the last occasion or the next last occasion in chapter 10. It's going to come up again. Whether you be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes for I forgave I it 
in the person of Christ. The word person here means face by implication presence. In other words, Paul is saying, if you've forgiven him, then in the very presence of Christ, I've done the very same thing. In other words, you forgave him, you're in Christ's presence. Christ is there witnessing you, I'm in Christ's presence. In other words, the connection between you and us is Jesus. I'm not in your physical location, but Jesus knows. And he knows what you've done, and he knows what I've done. And he's the witness between both of us. He says, I forgive him. Why? Why, why, why? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his mind. That's the word, his devices. The word devices here is the idea of a perception, a purpose, thoughts, intellect. Now, the first thing, and I'm, I'm only, I'm, I'm, I might not normally take these in this order, but I'm just going to take them in this order because I'm just going to take them in the order in which they fall in the book itself. But what is a strong spirit? What is a strong mind? Where is an area that there's strength that has to be built in order to have a strong mind? You've got to have a mind that is aware and understands the devil's tactics. Here he talks about we are not ignorant of how the devil works, his mind. In other words, our minds are conscious of how the devil works. Here's where, again, you know what? We've preached it many times. Here's your battlefield, right? That's where the devil's going to attack you, right there. In that mind. And if you don't know his attacks and you don't know his tactics, you're in trouble. If you are unable, many times, if people would just be able, they sit back and they're, they're focused on their own little world, they're focused on their own little issue, they're focused on their own little thing, and they can never get beyond that. I'll tell you why their spirit's weak and they're ignorant of how the devil works. If you would just sit back and say, hey, wait a minute. I know who I am in Jesus. This is like Paul. Jesus is the connection. Jesus knows I forgive it. I'm telling you I forgive it. Jesus knows I forgive it. See, folks on the other end might say, well, Paul's not the way. Paul hasn't done it. Paul, he won't even come down here. He won't do it. He feels this way. Paul said, no, Christ knows. Christ knows. I'm strong enough. I know that. I know how the devil works. The devil will work through unforgiveness. The devil will work through this tactic. He will use this tactic. He'll play on people's minds. That's what he does. He plays on their minds. He puts thoughts there, suggestions there to make people think that, oh, I didn't really forgive or this didn't happen or that didn't happen. On and on and it goes. And Paul says, no, sir, I'm telling you in the face of Christ, I've done this and I know how the devil works. I'm not ignorant of his devices and he is not going to pull one over on me. I, I, how many times have, have I seen things that, you know, it looks like the attack is against me personally and there is in some sense I may be the object at that moment but I need to have enough mind and strength to say wait a minute I'm part of a bigger picture here and it looks like right now that this thing is just coming at me but I'm telling you what's going on here I see what's going on here the devil's trying to pull one over because if he gets me distraught it's going to affect other folks in the church oh no you're not going to do that today sir that is not going to happen. You have to learn. If you're going to educate a man, when you're educating a soldier, one of the first things that you're going to educate him about is how the enemy works. He's got to learn battlefield tactics. 
This is how your enemy will do you. You got to be aware for this. You got to be prepared for this. You got to watch out for this. He'll come at this way. He'll come at this angle. He'll come at this angle. You and I do need to be aware of how the devil works and he works in our mind. He will try to get us focused on our own situation so that we lose sight of the larger picture. I preached to the men and I didn't really mention I, I mentioned it somewhere here, mentioned a little bit different way in Mexico. And when 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 Joshua is going in again to Canaan land. Remember, we talked about his courage. And God tells him, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I've talked about it here, but I want to, I want to reemphasize this point again. And then he goes on to say, God goes on to tell him, he says, and the land that I gave to your fathers, you're going to divide that land among the Israelites. Twice, he mentions in this passage, as I was with Moses... And then he says, the land I promised to your fathers. Now, what's all that say? Why? And, 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 and this is in connection with him telling Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Why is he talking about Moses and his fathers? I'll tell you why. Joshua, you are the one I've called for now. You're part of a bigger process. This isn't about you winning glory on the battlefield. This isn't about your personal psyche. This is about me completing my promise to Abraham and to the people. You're part of something larger. You see, our problem is, is the devil wants us to get focused on our little world and our, our little box that we live in, and we just look at how we're treated. We just look at how we feel. We just look at what's going on and, and what we perceive that people are thinking and what people are doing. And can I tell you something? There's a church. There's a nation. There's a city. There's a whole lot that God is working here and there and you are a vital part of that picture make sure you do what's right and you say okay Lord I get the picture now I know I can do this thing because this business started over 400 years ago to a promise you promised back there I'm the man by the name of Abraham and he lived in a tent and then his son Isaac and then Jacob and then a couple hundred years or more in Egypt and then now I was a part of that and Moses bringing them out I'm not the big man on campus I'm just part of a line of God's work and a program that God's got in place to bring this thing about to fulfill a promise and keep his word and be the God that he is Washington WPC of Washington has been called to do a work you are vital in that don't get lost in your own little world because you make a difference in the picture as a whole and you are not the whole picture you're just a piece of the pie and one of the tactics of the devil is to get us to think that we're a big fish in a little pond instead of a little fish in a big pond. You're just part of it. What a glory. What a privilege. You know what we're doing today? We look at Wesley. That's them. They had their name to be a Wesley. We're Wesley. God used them in his plan of bringing the church to where it's at. If we fail, and we compromise. You know what? We're going to lose out. God's still going to accomplish his plan. But we're going to lose out. I don't want to do that. I want to keep my focus. That God, you're doing something here. This is bigger than me. Use whoever you want to use. I use Moses, bud. Okay? I use Abraham. I use Isaac. I use Joseph. So... 
You know those good things that you got, Joshua? You know those people that are willing to follow you? You know that history that they have? You didn't give them that. I gave them that. You know this great Pentecostal blessing we've got? You know this great book that you and I have got to be able to preach and learn by? You know this great fellowship that you and I have? We didn't create it. We didn't make it. But we can sure share in it. Your mind must be knowledgeable of the enemy's tactics and how he works. Unforgiveness is a big one. Paul mentions that. Um, so many things. When this, if you look through the list of the men that I just gave you, you're alone. We all know this. We, we, we've been there. We've had the devil talk to us. We've had him accuse us. That's one of his tactics. He's just an accuser. He'll come at you and accuse you. He'll accuse your brother to you. He'll accuse your God to you. And you create an entire scenario in your mind and then you announce the truth to it. And you've created that scenario in your mind and now you're distraught, now you're discouraged and now you're having a hard time facing people. Now you're having a hard time dealing with things and all because you've got caught up under the accuser of the brethren and the whole battle has went on in your spirit. And before you ever faced anybody on the outside, you've already lost it on the inside because your spirit is weak. Glory to God. We need to keep our spirit strong so when we face the enemy, oh, I know that. We ought to be able to look and discern and perceive and say, oh, I know where that leads. Nope, I'm not going down that road. Not today. I know where that takes me. I know where that'll get me. That'll get me nowhere. That'll get me destroyed. Let's look at another one. Chapter 3. He uses the word again. Chapter 3 in verse 14. I'll start with verse 13. And not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds, you see this word minds, it's the same Greek word as devices back in chapter 2. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Now the word blinded here means hardened. It doesn't mean to make blind like you say that I'm not sure why they translated it blinded, but, but it means hardened. It means to petrify something. Now, this idea, their minds were hardened. Now, what's the scoop here? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the scoop is this. There's a comparison being between the glory of the old covenant and the new covenant. He compares that which came with Moses and that which has come with Christ. And he talks about uh, one was uh, the, of the letter, another's of the spirit. One was uh, unto condemnation, and the other is unto righteousness. He mentions that. There's a comparison of this. And he says that this thing were not like Moses. He said he had to put a veil over his face, and the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. He put a veil over his face. Now, there's in this context, many times, and there was this aspect of the veil because the light was there and it was glorious light and, and maybe they couldn't bear to look upon that and so he covers his face with a veil and, and there's some sense in that. But the greater aspect that's mentioned here is, is he covers his face with a veil because the glory faded. If Moses just stood out there long enough, the face would have stopped shining. He covers it with the veil and they look on him. But can I tell you something? Behind the veil, the glory and the shine was dimming. 
the light was growing dimmer behind the veil. His face didn't continue to shine. He had to go back to the presence. And then the face would shine. And then he goes out and talks to the people. But while he's talking to the people, the light shining from his countenance is dimming. Because the glory of the Old Testament covenant was a fading glory. It was a fading glory. It was a shadow. It was a type. And he says they couldn't see to the end. Moses didn't want them to see and they couldn't see to the end. In other words, they couldn't see that that glory was a fading glory. The law was not an end. It was a means to the end. What God did with the children of Israel was not his ultimate goal. It was something that was a part of the process to lead to the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was Jesus Christ. Not Moses, not the law. The law is there to schoolmaster, to keep us until Christ comes. It was a means to an end. It was not an end. But now watch. Paul says now, he says, this veil was on there over them because their minds were blinded. And he said it's the veil was still there today. They're holding on to Moses. They're holding on to the law. They're holding on to their sacrifices. They're holding on to their, their ceremonies. They're holding on to their festivals. They're holding on to their feasts. They're holding on to all those things. And they can't see that the glory's faded, bud. The monarchy is dead from a, from a national perspective. They don't have a king. They don't even have an ark in their temple. The ark of the covenant is gone. The glory is faded. When Jesus died, the veil was rent. What's your point? They can't see that the New Testament, the Old Testament was a means to the end and the glory has faded from it. Why? Because their minds are hard. They have become so calloused in their minds they can't receive new information. You can't receive new information when you get, your mind becomes concrete. You know, we've talked about folks who make a little play on words. That guy's like concrete. He's mixed up and set. That's the way folks get. They get their thoughts mixed up, but then their mind becomes concrete and they cannot have any new light come. Now watch. What do we do? He talks about this veil being on their heart in verse 15. The veil is done away in Christ. He said God took that away. In other words, Christ lifted the veil. Christ is the real glory. Hallelujah. Moses put it on there because the glory was fading. Christ lifts it and the glory shines from him and it's an unfading glory. Verse 17 Verse 16, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. They read the law. Moses is read. And when they read the law, they still today can't, Paul saying to these Jewish people, and they're the ones probably causing some problems here in Corinth. He's saying they can't see. They're still holding on to circumcision. Still holding on to their feast. And they can't see that that wasn't where God, that wasn't how life was meant to be wrapped up. That was there for a time, but it was to meant to get them to Jesus Christ. But he said if they'll turn to the Lord, if they'll just spend time looking at Jesus, if they'll spend time directing to themselves to Him and think about Him, oh, hallelujah, and Jesus, the veil will be taken away. Woo, glory. 
and they will be able to see clearly. That's where it was all going to. I don't have to have a lamb in the temple because I found the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. I don't have to go to Jerusalem and celebrate a Passover because Christ is my Passover in him. This is where God was going with all of that. Notice what he says. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the Lord. Now here's the point. I'm, I'm, out of, I'm, whoa, I'm way out of time. I'm way out of time. I'm just going to make the say statement we're going to close. A mind constantly transformed by the knowledge of Christ. It's okay to have convictions when there is something that is fixed and it's known to be fixed and it's right. It's okay to stand on that. You need that. You need that kind of fixed. But your mind must never become to the place that you think, I cannot learn more. Your spirit will become weak when it, when it becomes unopened to new information. Because Jesus can always teach you more about him.